You are listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. Welcome to day 95 and 96 of your Read Through the Bible in a Year, and you're listening to the, the passing of the oral tradition. Correct. We're basically talking about the story, so whether you've read it for yourself or not, you're going to hear it, and hearing is more than half the battle. Yes. <laughs> it's 100% of the battle, so we're glad you're here. We got a lot to go, a lot to cover today, Matt, because Deuteronomy is my new favorite book. Uh, seriously. It's so great. Can so, we just spend 40 minutes on Deuteronomy? Let's just get into it. Okay. Old Testament reading for today is Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 24 through chapter 5. Buckle up, folks. It's about mm. to get awesome. Okay. So we are at the end of chapter 2. Mm-hmm. And you'll start to realize that God puts the dread of you. So again, this is all from Moses's perspective. So you have like the beginning of chapters going, then we did this. Mm -hmm. Then Moses said this to the people, which is in stark contrast to numbers where it was always the Lord said to Moses, Mm -hmm. the Lord said, now it's Moses said, this is the director's cut. This is behind the scene where Moses is sharing like his confessional. And this is where Moses shares the fact that God has put the dread of the people around you, like put it on them. So like on everyone, he says of the peoples who are under the whole heaven, who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. So when they decide to fight you, that's a choice to fight what they know they, they could surrender but they mm-hmm. still choose not to surrender to a more powerful God than theirs. Right. So even on that base level, not even in terms of like, you know, having faith, not having faith, what's fair, what's not fair, instead of bowing and saying, you know what? Your God seems great. They decide we want to overwhelm you and kill your God. And that's how the, I think that's how pretty much how chapter two ends, right? And he's well, re- recalling the victory. He's recalling the victory. And so we get into their first like the new generation, the new geners, um, their first military victories, Mm -hmm. which is taking the east side of the Jordan. And right now they're focusing on the Amorites, which are sandwiched between the Moabites and the Ammonites. Um, So again, the Ammonites are descendants of Lot, and the Moabites and the Ammonites are descendants of Lot. And then you have the Amorites who are from like Babylon in Syria, who have kind of wedged their way in there and taken this land, and they have strongholds, they have walls. Like in archaeology, they're finding walls that are like eight feet thick. Wow. Of just stones, like shored up together. Serious walls. Like, and reinforced with iron bars. Like, these guys were building real cities. But Moses is, and so Moses is saying, look, all the things your dad's. And fathers and mothers were scared of 40 years ago. Right. We have already started to conquer. Correct. We've, we've, con- we've conquered them. And then is this, it leads into, and these walls were great. The people were huge mm-hmm. and scary. We were like grasshoppers to them. Mm-hmm. And that's all true. But now Moses is able to say, look, at, look what God has done for us. Like yeah. Just like Pharaoh, like your parents went through Egypt. And now you've gone through these people groups on the east side of the Jordan. Yeah, which so is a big deal. You've 
defeated King Sihan and King Og, right. who King Og, at least on the east side, was considered one of the last Rafaim, which is uh, uh, giants, people of giants. So how big was Og? Og... According to the scriptures. So his bed, okay. and it could be also translated his casket, was 15 feet by 7 feet. And so that's the nine cubits was its length, four mm. cubits its breadth. Yes. According to the common cubit. So Moses includes in his diary here, Yeah. we conquered King Og, which Who is the last of a giant. Was potentially 14 to 15 feet tall. <laughs> and uh, if thinking about it, Goliath was like nine feet. Right. And so you were telling me earlier the bed mentioned here, the bed of iron. Mm-hmm. It's this huge 15 foot long bed. But it could have been his coffin also. Yes. The word yes. in the Hebrew goes kind of either way. Yes. Which is remarkable. I know. It's insane. So, like, they're defeating some serious strongholds and enemies, and God's just giving them this. And now this is the land, this is the territory that, after they defeat these two kings, that Reuben, Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh say, we like this. Right. Uh, this is perfect for how we li- how we want to live, and all these we have. We're the herdsmen, and we have all this stuff now that we've just taken from them. And there's these cities ready to rock. Like we kind of want this. So I'm seeing a, a pattern where it's after they escape Egypt, he gives them their law on how to live with God now. Mm-hmm. And now after he's gotten the east side of the Jordan and this great land, mm-hmm. he's going to give them the law again. Right. But at the end of this. Um, this makes so much more sense now. I, I commanded Joshua at the time, your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. Mm-hmm. So will the Lord do to all the kingdoms into which you are crossing. You shall not fear them, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. So I think it gives a perspective. Like I read, have read this verse in the past and taken it kind of spiritually, like God fights for me. Mm-hmm. But in its original context, it's the Lord literally defeated a potentially 14-foot giant king yeah and for his you. giant cities and his giant walls that are eight feet thick mm-hmm. so don't fear god's promises are sealed and good for you yeah i think one of the cool things too is he's like in one of these he says uh it didn't matter how tall their cities were or how hard they were to reach because some a lot of the strongholds right they would build on the outskirts of the of their territory and they would be in like high places, so like on mountains yeah. or in the side so of can... mountains. And I like think like Lord of the Rings here. Like right. these guys are storming f- like stone fortresses built into the sides or on tops of mountains that are specifically built to Just... keep out and withstand sieges and conquering. Because you armies. can snipe when you have the higher position. Yeah. You're just sniping them and as they come up and watching the them. The Lord went with them yeah. and gave them these cities. So these are like remarkable, miraculous victories. Victories, just like it was in Egypt. Mm-hmm. And it's it's cool because um, Moses is reminding and writing down, like, man, the same God is with us. We beat Egypt. We'll beat these people. But we need to um, listen to the Lord. And then uh, this is the first. I think this is the first time because he does it again in today's reading, where mm-hmm. Moses recognizes that he's not going into the land. And he yeah. actually says, because of you all, I can't go in. So you can tell that <laughs> Moses is so upset. He's still yeah. blaming He's still blaming the people for his inability to be able or not being ac- allowed access into the promised land. Mm-hmm. So he has this conversation with God that um, I think is, 
it reveals the um, relational nature of the rela- of dealing with our God. And so he's uh, able to say he's able to say to yeah. God, this is in chapter three, the end of three. Is it? Yeah, from uh, chapter three, twenty-three oh, through yeah, twenty-nine. Yeah. So he's able to ask God and say, you know, let me look, or are you, are you sure? And yes, God basically yes, right. says, look, forgiveness does not remove consequence. So you're forgiven, man. Mm-hmm. You're still my guy. But the consequences are you can't go into the promised land because you cursed my people. Yeah, you can't enter into this. And so, um, but God will never desert us. He totally favors us. He favors Moses. And he says, um, here's what I'll do. I'll let you look at it. Yeah. And so encourage Joshua and the boys, encourage everybody, go look at that land. But um, your sins are forgiven, Moses. But uh, you, won't, you can't, you can't lead, go in there. lead these people anymore. But we know of the transfiguration, Moses does make it into the promised land because he's on a little mountain in Canaan oh, talking man. to Jesus That's and Elijah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, pretty cool. So Moses makes it eventually, just like all of us. Some of us never see our rest or our victory in this world, mm-hmm. but we are guaranteed it in Christ, and uh, the free gift of eternal life is ours. So we, we will get to the promised land sooner and, or later. And then Moses then follows that up with, so learn from yeah. me and learn from the previous generation. Obey what God tells you. Yeah. Just obey God, Just and everything it. will be good. He has life for you. He has a promise for you. No matter how ridiculous his commands are, follow them because they will only lead to life. And so he's breaking down God's law again, starting to reintroduce kind of the basics. Mm -hmm. And I like how um, he's reminding them, like as we move forward in following God, following Christ, it's like you got to remember where mm-hmm. you came from. Remember, remember the victories that you've had in the past to mm-hmm. propel you into the future. See, we're the people who can answer questions about the future. No one else can. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he starts listing here, and I, I noted on, I think it was verse 7, chapter 4, for what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I've set before you today? Like he's saying, what group of people in the planet Earth ever mm-hmm. has been able to approach their God? And I think at one point he says, like, the mount burned. It was the heart of heaven. And you didn't see the form of God. Sorry. Keep going. So he didn't see the form of God. We just heard his voice. That God's too holy to see, but you heard his voice. What other people has heard the voice of God and lived? We have. And so do not worship any other God. Do not turn. Oh, just obey him. That um, the visible appearance of his presence in the cloud was enough and spectacular. Yes. And so that's leading up to, so here's what the deal. Don't fall into what the other nations are doing. Don't fall into the carved images, male, female, animals, sun, moon. And I figured this out, Matt. I figured out something that God has given us all these things. He gives, like he gives the land. He gives animals. He gives male and female. He gives the sun and the moon. And he hates seeing us worship and be in, and being enslaved by things that were intended to be gifts to us. Yes. They were intended to serve us. So yes. animals, 
Male, female, we serve each other. We love each other. The sun and moon serves a purpose for us. Or even the Sabbath day serves a purpose for man. And when we make it a god or make it an idol and we start serving. So here's how you know when you're worshiping an idol. You are serving something that was created to be a blessing. Mm -hmm. So like work. Work's created to be a blessing. It's a place to have creative outlet, to make a living, also to serve people. Mm -hmm. But when work becomes the all-important thing, and now you are serving work and to get blessing slave. from yeah. work, you've, it's switched. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the human nature. And you see it, um, that God is, it's the human nature that he's breaking and bringing back to himself because he's like, oh, I'm the God of all things, and I serve you, and I give to you. You are my inheritance, and I want to be among you and enjoy all the things I've created for you. So do mm -hmm. not worship any other God. Do not make any image. And then he ends with like, our God is a fire. A consuming fire. But he's jealous. Yeah. And then Moses makes himself a witness against them. Like, if you do this, if you worship other things and you, have, you fall into idolatry, you're in trouble. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> crazy. He, he actually prophesies here. Mm -hmm. I see oh, that yeah, as a prophecy. Yeah. And uh, so he's saying, like, remember when God spoke to you from the mountain, mm -hmm. he was formless. So don't make any form. Don't worship oh, any nice. form or graven image. But when you enter the land, he actually says, he says this, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going to going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples and you will be left in few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you out. Because he's saying, you will eventually fall into this. You will worship these things and this is what the Lord has to do to you. He says, and there you will serve the gods of wood and stone and, work of, and the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the later days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord is merciful God, and he will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. Sorry, so, I had to read all that because it's no, so it's good. No, it's so good. And that's, that's the middle of um, chapter 4. And he says this stuff, and this is what happens to them. No. It, like, this is the rest of the story. But it's so good because, you know, when he says don't commit adultery, we all have to be honest. And it's like we've all committed adultery. We've made good things that were gifts to us, the ultimate things that we end up serving. And so God knew from the beginning we would fall into it, but he created a merciful, loving system so that we could come back to him, which is pretty great. And so we come back through Jesus Christ, who was the perfect servant, who mm -hmm. never worshiped, bowed to anything else. And on our behalf so that we might come. So it's like Jesus is the hero here, and Moses is setting this whole system up um, for life for us. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty good. And great. Then even when you break it, well, God is still faithful, and will he'll punish you, but he'll restore you. He won't destroy you completely. And then he talks about the Lord is God alone and how gracious he's been to mm -hmm. speak to them, to be with them, to fight for them. And then I had uh, in verse 35... To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. Mm -hmm. 
Out of heaven he let you hear his voice that he might discipline you. And on earth he let you see his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than yourselves to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. There is no other. So therefore keep the command. I could just keep reading Deuteronomy. It's- I know. Deuteronomy is so good. I, the, the thing that's hitting me too is the law that Moses is giving them is not to save them. No. God has already saved them. He's already right. loved them. He's already called them out. He's pulled them out of Egypt. He's walked with them through the desert. The law is just, you're here with God. Now this is how you live with them. This is how you love God, and this is how you love your neighbor. Yeah, this is that's just the it. whole law. And that's but all I'm, it is. It's not to save you. It's not to like justify you before God. It's not going to do that. It's just... Now that you're part of the family, these are the family rules. And, and understand, too, this is what, I'm, I'm working it out, but if you break these rules, there's consequences. There's consequences, but it doesn't ever say you're out of the family. No, you'll be forgiven. You'll be forgiven, but you might die. But you might, yeah. <laughs> but, like, Moses dies not going into the land. Yeah. But you're still his people, so this is how do you live with God on earth mm-hmm. as he is in heaven, because he has plans for us here. Before he fixes everything, he has plans for us here to be conquerors and to be loving people and ministering and announcing so that all might be saved. Then, I love this. I actually love that Moses does this. He gets to do this. He can't enter into the promised land, but the thing he can do is start setting up the land on the east side that the, that the Reubenites, oh, the Gadites, yeah. and the Manassites are going to inherit. And he sets up three of the six cities of refuge. Oh, right. Yeah. And so they've defeated the Amorites. They've taken that land, and they're, they're beginning to settle it. And he goes, okay, before we get crazy here, I just need to actually pick three cities and set them apart as cities of refuge. Um, and so one of them, I think, actually comes back into play later in the story. Uh, Ramoth and Gilead for the Gadites. I'm just making a mental note of that Okay, one. all right. Uh, I think that comes back for David later. Okay, interesting. Well, moving on to chapter 5, he reintroduces... This is the second telling of the Ten Commandments or the Decalogue, the Ten Words. The Ten Words. The Ten Words, and these words are spoken from God to the elders, to the people, Moses is in between them and he's mm-hmm. telling the next generation now. So the first generation has died out and he's telling the second generation, you and your parents heard from God directly. Mm-hmm. And here's what he said. And so he reminds them. So you remember, do second, second giving of the law because it has to be given again for the next generation. Mm-hmm. You got to pass it on and it's always passed on through oral telling and retelling. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he does it here. And there's a section, though, where he talks about how the people chose not to hear directly from God. Did you get so, that? Yeah, so they hear, this is really cool, and I think I often forget this. Yeah. The congregation, at least of the elders, mm-hmm. actually heard God from Mount Sinai give the ten words. 
That's the part they heard. I forget. I know. I was just thinking it was written down. Moses came down with no. him. No. That was like when... But it was in rumbling and fire and a cloud. And he set them around the mountain. And he had yeah. them purify themselves. And they weren't allowed to touch the mountain. That whole scene. So they in, actually heard the voice. That's actually, what he says, doesn't he? Yeah. It? They actually heard the voice. They heard the 10 words. And they, they didn't like it. And they were like, hey, Moses, we... Who can hear God anymore? We've, we've heard God and just lived, but... We feel like if he's going to talk okay. anymore, we're going to die. So we want you to talk to him for us. Be our mediator. And Moses says, that was a good instinct. You need a mediator. Okay. I just had to verify because part of me was still skeptical. But it actually says, Deuteronomy 5, 24. And you said, behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness. And we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man and man still live. I know. That's what's shocking to them. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, we shall die. They, how, come, <laughs> how come I've been studying this book my whole life and never once thought about them hearing the voice of God Yeah, it wasn't just at Moses. Mount Sinai? Yeah. I, I, maybe it's because we all watched Charlton Heston come down with the tablets written. Like it was just between... Mo- I have a lot of thoughts on that. But. Yeah, I know. Not now. But but we they heard the voice of the living God and didn't die out of mm-hmm. the fire. And so that's this is when everyone realizes this is too much. Mm-hmm. So God, you're right. God says, you know what? That's a good instinct. Mm-hmm. I will have a mediator because the voice directly from God is so tenuous and so on the edge of spontaneous combustion <laughs> that let's just not risk it. Yeah. One guy can actually kind of get right with me and enter into that conversation as opposed to a whole bunch of people kind of all it takes is one careless person for a mm-hmm. fire to break out, which makes sense to me now. Like Right. Right. I mean, you need like lead you need people to make decisions. You can't have the masses just like running around. Mm-hmm. People will get hurt. And so that was wise. And that sets up the need for Christ so much. You're like, mm-hmm. we have the mediator who will never die. I know. So that we can hear the voice of God through the face of God, Jesus Christ, the heart of God. Amen. So good. Deuteronomy. What an amazing book. Well, yeah. <laughs> Guidelines for a holy relationship with God from the perspective of Moses, the man who led it all. Who spoke to God face to face. Sweet Moses. He's he's still so upset about that rock incident. He's like, I can't get in because of you all. <laughs> I love that humanity of him. I know. Alright, let's move on to the New Testament reading for today. You ready? Yeah. Our New Testament, sorry, the music was so good. Our New Testament reading is Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through chapter 11, verse 32. You were just listening to music and I was like, am I doing something wrong? No. You're... No. (laughs) For once, everything was right. Luke chapter 10. Oh, here's a famous one. Parable of the Good Samaritan. Everyone's heard the Good Samaritan. Mm. Do you want to give the uh, recap? Have you heard the Good Samaritan? No, no one's really heard it. You know why? Because no one's engaged the Old Testament. <laughs> no one's engaged the Old Testament for a lot of reasons. But my suggestion is we always read the, the parable of the Good Samaritan from the wrong perspective. Yeah. Especially, I'm, I'm going to speak for myself, kind of um, Americans 
we always see ourselves as the people in power or maybe Anglo-Saxon. I don't know. So I always read this and I feel a little bit upset because I'll feel like I need to do more to help the Good Samaritan. Or no, the, the guy who, yeah. And so, so here's the story. Okay. So again, we have experts of the law. Right. Challenging Jesus. Right. A guy in power challenging Jesus. Trying to be like, all right. Tell me, uh, good teacher. What, what's, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus just flips it back on him and says, well, how do you read the law? I know. You're a lawyer. How do you read the law? And so he answers with a good answer that we're actually going to read in our next episode in Deuteronomy. I know. The summation of the law. And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Stop there. And the guy, like, you hear that, and you go, okay, I got to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, strength, and love my neighbor as myself. Now, maybe a non-lawyer might think, cool, I'm pretty good at that. But someone who actually knows the law would be completely crushed by that because you don't even begin to love anything with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That would require you sitting and meditating on God 24 hours a day. Yes. And so this guy gets it. He knows that this is an impossible task. task. Like just these two lines is love God, love your neighbor is impossible. So he he tries to justify himself. Right, because he's feeling crushed. Because this is what we do when we get in a corner. And this is what I do all the time. And I, I ask the question, well... Then who is my neighbor? But even that makes me laugh because he doesn't say, he doesn't deal with love the Lord your God, God with all your heart, soul, mind, He's strength. dealing with the lesser one, right. which is crushing him. Which is funny because, you know, right now in our culture, loving people is way more tangible than loving God, God, right? Yeah. Because loving God is overwhelming and you'll, yeah. you will fail. But in, in with them, it, it's a little more tangible because they're doing all the ceremonial rites. And if, you, you kind of feel like if you can master those things, they special You're things doing in the houses yeah. like there's ways to do it okay um and so he's trying to go well well, well wait who's my neighbor though yeah. like if it's i a trick just... question and so then jesus then sets up this hypothetical story which is a, a great story so you start off with a man who's going down from jerusalem to jericho and so obviously if he's leaving jerusalem he's most likely jewish he's most likely from the tribe of judah he's aligned with this lawyer guy. So mm-hmm. he's identifying the lawyer guy probably as this man. Like, this is who the, this guy would identify with immediately. Right. And say, he fell among robbers, he was stripped, beaten, left for dead. A priest wanders by the same road and sees the man and walks on the other side. Then a Levite, who we know as guys who were set apart to work for the temple mm-hmm. and take care of all the holy things, sees the place, sees the man, he also passes on by the other side. So you have a priest and a Levite. Now, knowing what we know about the law and like ceremonial stuff, and with and this is kind of now that I'm thinking about it, is addressing like loving God would be to stay ceremonially clean. Right. And so this is what the second temple Nice. Okay, so they're Jews they're trying were, to love God in this. We're trying to love God by staying ceremonially clean all the time like they were always trying to figure out how to 
stay clean and follow the law. And so you don't want to touch a guy who's potentially dead because that would make you unclean. And so, Which Jesus, by the way, was doing all the time. All the time. Right. And so these, the priest and the Levite are actually kind of doing something that would be kind of right mm-hmm. because they're trying to be like, well, I need to stay clean. I, don't, I can't touch this guy if he's dead. Right. He might be dead. And I'm not going to go over there and check and find out and be like, oh, I'm ceremonial and clean. Now I got to go do through all this stuff. I can't go to the temple in a week. Um, and so they pass by and leave him. So then Jesus throws a curveball and says, a Samaritan comes by. Now, Samaritans are the mixed breeds of the northern tribes. Right. And the Jews and the Samaritans do not like each other. There's a lot of racism, racial tension between the two. So this lawyer would hate the idea of a Samaritan even being in the story. Yes. And the Samaritan comes by, sees the man goes over to him, attends to his wounds, picks him up, takes him to an inn, pays for his stay, gives the guy, the owner, two full days' worth of wages. Like two denarius, those are two full days' worth of work. Gives him that much money. So it's a lot of money. It's more than you would need to stay in an inn. Um, And then says, if you... If I, I'll come back and check in on you guys on my way back from Jericho. And if there's any more money that needs to be paid, I'll pay the debt. Then Jesus answers, who was this man's neighbor? And the guy said, the one who showed him mercy. Mm-hmm. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. So go and be like the Samaritan, right? Yeah. So here's what's funny about the stories. Every time I've read it, I'm always feeling like the lawyer. Mm-hmm. Like, oh man, I gotta be more like the Samaritan. But that's if you are against Jesus and you're trying, you only need to identify with that guy if you're trying to justify yourself. Mm-hmm. Then you are the lawyer and then you are the two priests and the Levites. But the way we are intended to read it is we're the guy who's beat up on the road. <laughs> that's the perspective that you and I are supposed to read it from. Yes. We have been made unclean, we have been left for dead. Jesus is the good Samaritan. Mm-hmm. The guys who are only loving God with all their heart, soul, and mind, they're trying to, through, the, through their own obedience, miss out on showing mercy. And so thank God that Jesus has been the good Samaritan because we are the ones beat up and left for dead and, and being he, passed by. And he will interact with the unclean person and who, restore them. And how do, and because the question is, how do I inter, in, inherit eternal life? The question starts off with, how is this? And Jesus' answer, I think, brilliantly is recognize you're beat up and unclean and dead and you need me. Yes. And I oh, am man. I am that Samaritan. I am the guy you don't recognize. And I'm your neighbor. And I'm going to be an, the true neighbor to you. I'm going to be the good Samaritan who who pays for everything, who brings you back at the expense of being made unclean. But so that's the perspective. So if you've always, if you've always thought of this story and been like, I get it, I got to love my neighbor, it, the story is actually about allow yourself to be um, to look for the good Samaritan. He's your only hope. Everybody else, uh, they're trying to take care of themselves, mm-hmm. no matter what they're intentionally or unintentionally. So I don't know. I love that. That's a great story. But uh, the the real quiz there is: Am I trying to justify myself, or am I able to surrender? And um, when we're able to surrender... And actually admit that I need help. Right. 
Which is what the lawyer is unable to do. Yeah. Because he thinks he has it all taken care of. Yeah. So beware of any kind of arrogant position when it comes to the Lord. In fact, my experience has been the more I've grown, the more I recognize everything as a gift, and I thankful am thankful, and I ask for God's mercy constantly. Correct. Okay, so then we get to another great story, Martha and Mary, two sisters who are friends with Jesus, and uh, one, Mary, is a little more emotionally and spiritually invested in Jesus. She's sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to every word he's saying. And also, it's a position of a disciple. Right. Like, it's also kind of a big deal because as a female, she's sitting down at the feet as a, as a disciple would normally sit at the feet right. of a rabbi. So there she is, and her sister is going, you know, all of this um, yeah, so showing Jesus hospitality. Jesus shows up to Mary and Martha's house with his entourage. And so at a minimum, there's 13 people with him. Yeah. So 13 hungry dudes come walking into their house and... And food is kind of expected. And so Martha picks up the task. She's she's, she's working. Do, she's actually doing what is required, what's normal, what's, what's, necessary. what's hospitable. And then she goes up to Jesus at some point and just says, tells on her sister, hey, I'm doing everything and I have a sister here who should be helping me. Mm-hmm. And Jesus lovingly looks at her and says, oh, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, mm-hmm. which is true. And that could be said to any of us at any time. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. <laughs> and so the idea of the portion, too, like even the food that's being prepared. It's food, yeah. The food, the Word of God, God. We live by the Word of God, yes. not by bread alone. Like it's all that stuff mixed up. But what we get out of it is, Martha, your job is important, but sometimes you need to rest and gather around the Word of God. Mm-hmm. There's a Sabbath. And the Sabbath, the Lord of Sabbath is in your home right now. So your sister's doing what's fine. Yeah. And he doesn't even say you need to do it. Yeah. You can I, keep working, but you need to rest in the fact that your sister's fine and you're fine. The word of God is in your house. I do see that. Like there is no, he doesn't rebuke her for doing what she's doing because like, no. it's good. And, and if anything, she should be doing it joyfully and right. going like, oh, I, this is just the task I'm choosing to do right well, now. Well, I feel like there's people who, cho- who feel like they put themselves in one camp or the other. Yeah. And like, I'm just a Martha. I'm never going to be... Sp- and, and Or I'm just Mary. I don't do that stuff. And I don't think it's like that. I think Mary did household chores and oh, made yeah. meals. And I think Martha really loved and worshipped Jesus. I just think there's times in our lives when it's like, we need to look at what, what God is doing and rest. I think faith and rest in Christ are naturally going to be undervalued for most of us. Because mm-hmm. doing is more important. But there is a, a life-giving balance, and recognizing when Christ is there, take yeah. a break. Rest is a valuable part of it. So I like that story. Then, teach us to pray, Jesus. How do we pray? And uh, this is Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer, which is truncated. It's mm-hmm. smaller, but it has all the elements. So hallowed be your name, Father, your kingdom, daily bread, forgiveness, and lead us not into temptation. Much shorter, mm-hmm. but still has um, teaching us to depend on God in prayer and find our comfort there. I, I love and it. And then he follows it up with this like story, parable, um, of kind of how our uh, attitude towards prayer should be. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And So good. And he's like, uh, which of you have has gone to your 
neighbor's house in the middle of the night because you have a guest that shows up and you realize I didn't I don't have enough food for my guest. And again, hospitality is a big thing. Right. If a, someone shows up at your house, you're going to give them food. Yeah. And you don't have food, you didn't prepare cuz everything's handmade. Like you don't easily go to a store like bread is handmade and so you go he's like when has this happened to you where you have to go to your friend's house you're knocking on the door asking him for like hey can I borrow some bread and your friend's like dude it's the middle of the night if I get up and get you some bread I'm gonna have to wake up my whole family it's a kind of a big deal I've already locked the door like come on but if you're insistent your friend will open it and not only give you what you asked for, but more, just to get you out of his hair. Right. And then he's like, and then he relates it to a father. When your son asks you for something, do you, for food, don't you give him good food? And so then he's like, again, tying it to, when you ask your Heavenly Father for things, he's going to give you something even better. Like, so keep asking. Don't yeah. stop. Pray. Ask. Not That's every time Jesus pursue. talks about it. Yeah, he's like, do not stop. Don't just ask once and be like, oh, well, you keep asking because the answer of the prayer depends on God. Mm-hmm. He hears. Right. If we didn't have Christ, we could ask for things and not know if he hears. But yeah. we have Christ who rose from the dead, and so we know he hears us. And then he tells us, keep asking the Father. He's doing something and all that in us. He's providing for us. He's working things out. And at a minimum, your faith is growing Every time you ask for something, and I mean, from the lady, the 12 years of the issue of blood, I mean, like 12 years, 20 years, 40, 25 years for Abraham, like spend the years asking God to do the thing he promised. Yeah. Don't stop. Don't stop. Then Jesus gets accused of being in line with the devil, which actually ends up being an awful thing to say. <laughs> uh, false teaching, really, where they're saying, essentially, you're casting out demons with the power of the devil. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus asks a brilliant question. Well, how do your guys do it? What, what authority do they use? Yeah, because there's Jewish exorcists at this point, and they're successfully casting out demons. And he's like, your own, your own sons will judge you yeah. for this statement. For this statement. Uh, this false teaching that I am somehow in line with the demonic. That is absurd. Mm-hmm. Demons don't cast out demons because... Uh, a kingdom divided against himself will fall. You're just devouring yourself. Why yes. would we do that? And so it makes no sense, and now you're in trouble. Um, and then he gives some cool ideas about uh, the strong man. You, you have ideas about this, like the strong man guarding his, his stuff. And Yeah, so like he, he gives the example of, he compares Satan to a strong man who's trying to protect. He has guards set up. He has a house that's locked down, and he says it takes someone stronger to come in, tie up the strong man, defeat the guards, remove his armor, tie him up, and then he will plunder the house. Right. And he's like, I'm that guy. Yeah. I have bound Satan, I've stripped him of his armor, I've defeated his guards, and now I'm plundering the house. That's pretty sweet. Which is a pretty, uh, like, cool, like, reality to like see or a picture of jesus because we kind of see him as like a peaceful person all the time but to see him as like he's actively defeating satan and then plundering and stealing all of his things back 
So the next section, what, what's the deal with this? The unclean spirit has gone out of a person. It passes through waterless places, the desert, wilderness, seeking rest. And then it comes back to find it all swept out and clean. Then it brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. <laughs> yeah. I know you have a big thing on this. Well, yeah. Give us the quick one. Okay, so, I mean, again, the idea is when, one, I mean, demons are real, and... Boom. And uh, they can possess people, and more than one can possess people. I mean, we've seen this in the story of the of Legion mm-hmm. and all that. And uh, Jesus states that when a demon's cast out, it wanders, and... Um, when someone doesn't invite or replace that evil spirit with the spirit of God, mm-hmm. the demon is searching. Like, they're desperate to find lodging. They're right. desperate to find other people to possess. And they will... Because ret- they love to corrupt the image yeah, of God. Yeah, they want to corrupt the image of God. And so they will... What's easier is to go back to the place that they were kicked out. And if they come and find it empty right. and not guarded... And not defended, not filled by the strongest, by Jesus, by the by the new strong man. Who has yeah, the strong man who is. They're going to take it, and they're going to take it with even more people, with even more spirits, and that person is going to be worse off than before. And so, when we experience this kind of stuff, like, I mean, we've come across some people who've had spirits, unclean spirits in them, manifestations of this. Yeah, and. the the thing you have to follow it up with is you have to lead them into inviting the Holy Spirit and yeah. and as a person you kind of have to engage that and go like do I really want this do I want God do do I want Him in my heart do I want Him in my life mm-hmm. do I submit to the authority of Jesus now because otherwise you'll be clean and set free for a while but you're only going to be worse off later down yeah. the road because yeah exactly well. Um, then moves on to this scene. Luke goes on to the scene where a woman in the crowd says, basically, you're blessed. You, be, you know, blessed is the woman who gave birth to you. Like, yeah. You're great. And then Jesus responds with, no, actually, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And I get this feeling it's like an exchange in a, a crowd. Like, blessed are you, yeah. you know, and the woman who nursed you. And he's like, no, blessed. And then he just kind of yells back. No, it's the those who hear the word of God and keep it, mm-hmm. which goes to the... The unclean spirit, like putting yeah. the word of God in your heart and inviting the Holy Spirit into your heart, but even recognizing your baptism mm-hmm. initiated the um, the Holy Spirit's dwelling in you, yeah. and to reclaim that and make sure that you're under that. But it's the word of God that blesses us, not the fact of who we were born by or where we were raised or any of that stuff. And I, I think do, that's what that that's yes, what she's it, it is to. totally tied to that and. Also, I, I know I mentioned this when we came across this passage in Matthew, mm-hmm. but this is also a picture of what is going to happen to uh, Judah because Jesus went through, cast out the evil spirits among those people, and they did not receive him. Oh, they yeah. rejected Jesus, and then and after his ascension, the Romans come in and destroy that place. Yeah. And you siege. see the evil come back on them sevenfold. The siege of Jerusalem. They in, are a lot worse off than when in they the, first started. In the year 70 AD. You're right. 
that is like the demons come back to haunt a place that rejected Christ because Christ was not allowed to be their strongman. Yep. And then that's why that actually makes a lot more sense of verse 29 uh, through 32, where it says, you know, even the Ninevites, this generation is evil. Yeah. Like you guys are evil. You're the light has come. The son of God has come and you're calling him evil. Yeah. Even the Ninevites understood this. Even the queen of Sheba who came and saw the riches of Solomon. And these are all Gentile nations and people that worshiped other false gods were under the death sentence of another God. They could see the life and light that was coming forth through the word of God through Solomon and Jonah. And, and you, and he says, Jonah, you're right. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. So even the Ninevites will go like, you guys deserve what you get. Yeah. Because even we knew to put on sackcloth and ashes and say, we got to change. And we had reluctant Jonah. They repented at the preaching of Jonah. Yeah, who wasn't even, after he did it, he was crying and wishing they were all dead. Mm-hmm. How much more? So yeah, those guys are like, we got Jonah. He was such a sad prophet to us. And he was mad. He wanted us dead. And you have this guy, Jesus, who's healing you, giving you sight, preaching the gospel to you. What? Something greater than Jonah is here. Mm. And that is the truth. Something greater than Jonah than Solomon. Jesus Christ is here, the strong man, um, the good Samaritan, to restore you, to pay for everything. Yeah, receive it. Receive it. Or you'll be worse off. Or, yeah, stuff comes back. Something else will take the space inside of your mind and heart. Yeah. So give it to the Lord. Seriously. And now, let's hear some words of Solomon. Yeah. I'm going to finish up Proverbs chapter 8, verse 32 through 36. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life, and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. just been fed by ravens. That was powerful. Well, go in peace and serve the Lord. We'll talk to you next time.